Thank you, Mrs. Merritt. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 in your Bibles. If you brought one with you, turn there with me if you would. Psalm 37. If you don't have one, I'll read it and you can listen along. And uh, we'll trust that God will speak to our hearts this morning. Psalm 37 in your Bibles. Before we read our text this morning, I want to begin by asking you a few questions. Three questions this morning. I'd like you to answer them, not out loud. Uh, I'm not asking for that. But you answer it quietly in your heart before the Lord. But three questions. Question number one is, do you believe that God knows what is best for you? Do you believe that God knows what is best for you in your life? Um, Where you live? who you marry, um, how to train up your kids. Do you believe God knows what's best for you? Question number two is, do you you believe that God wants what is best for you? A little bit different than the first. It's one thing to say, I believe God knows what's best for me. But do you believe what the Bible teaches us about God, that he is good and that he always does what is right? He's righteous. And... uh, We might say, well, yes, I believe God is righteous, and I believe God is good. Well, then, the question is, do you believe that God wants what is best for you? Now, I didn't say, do you believe that God always does and wants what is easiest for you? But do you believe that he wants what is best for you? And then the third question is this, do you believe that God is doing what is best for you in your life. He's actively working in your life and he's actively working in my life. And uh, as we've pondered the last couple of weeks, sometimes hardships are a part of life. Uh, Job talked about that. Man is born for adversity. It's just part of life. Hardships are a part of what you and I go through. It's just a part of life. Everybody who lives long enough on this earth is going to go through hard things. Um, but do you believe that God is doing what is best for you? He knows you. He created you. He sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for you and for me to save our souls from death and hell to come and from sin today. He's actively working in our hearts and in our lives. Do you believe that he's doing what's best for you? Some of us in this room this morning have cancer. Some of, many of us don't. Most of us don't. But for a person who has cancer to say, I believe God is doing what is best for me. Well, that's quite a statement. Many of us in this room this morning, our marriages are great. And then there might be some this morning in this very room, and there is friction between a husband and a wife. And, and not that we're blaming God for all of the friction, but God's allowed some things to happen. He's allowed some things to take place. Do you believe that he's doing what is best for you? The Bible tells us in Hebrews that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently, even when we don't feel like it. When we feel like seeking Him hasn't panned out. When we feel like seeking Him for a week or uh, coming to church for a week or uh, two weeks or three weeks or a month or a year or 20 years and we think, you know what, things should be better than they are. But faith is diligently seeking Him, diligently pursuing Him, not stopping in our pursuit of Him. And really the question this morning that I have for all of us is are we going through life living by faith? Are we going through life trusting God? Trusting God. You're in Psalm 37. I want to begin reading in verse number 1. And I'm going to read all the way down through verse number 6. You're there, Psalm 37. I'll begin in verse 1. You listen closely or refollow along if you can. And we'll see what God has for us. Psalm 37 verse 1, the Bible says this. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. 
so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What are the desires of your heart this morning? Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Now, in this passage, you might have noticed there are several admonitions. We could call them commands. But the overall context of the passage is trust God. Trust Him. You can trust Him. And we might say this morning, many of us might say, you know what, Pastor Ferguson, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting Him. But, But how do we know if we're trusting Him or not? Well, by looking at these admonitions. Um... And I submit to you this morning that a believer who is trusting God is doing what is good. Do you see there in in our passage in verse number three, he says, and do good, do what is right. The believer who's walking by faith, who's pleasing God, is the believer who does what is right. Not necessarily what is easy, not necessarily what is convenient, not necessarily what everybody else is doing. It's not, it, it probably isn't going to be popular to do good, to do right. And not what you or I might say is good and right, but what God says is good and right. But a a believer who's trusting God does what is good. Secondly, we'll see this morning that a believer who's trusting in God, notice the beginning of verse number four, delights in God. What does it mean to delight in God? We'll look at that this morning. And then the third test of this morning is this, Uh, The believer who's trusting God commits, in verse 5, commits his way unto the Lord. Lord, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? God, this is my life, and I'm committing it over to you. I'm rolling it over over unto you, and I'm saying, God, here is my life. Take my life. Guide me. Direct me. I am a man. You are God, and I am giving my life, I'm entrusting my life into your care. You lead me, and I will do what you have me to do. Many of us in this room have been saved a long time. Some of us have only been saved a short period of time. But the question of this morning is this, are you trusting in God? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us in this time that we have. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak by his word, the word of God, And Father, I pray that you would meet needs in this room this morning. You know them. They are great. Uh, Father, they are beyond my ability to meet the needs. And the the needs that are represented in this room are, are outside of our ability to take care of in our own flesh, in our own humanity. And so we need you, God. And I ask you by your spirit to teach us and to help us and to encourage us. And Father, I pray that today would be a day of surrender and a day of submission to you, to you as God. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, another particular passage in the Word of God you might have memorized about trusting God is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, with all of your heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. Don't depend on what your understanding is. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, in everything you do, business, religious, marital, children, education, in all thy ways acknowledge him, God, and he shall direct thy path. He'll direct your path. He'll direct your steps. And so the question this morning is, are you trusting God? Because, again, I remind you, without faith, without trusting God, it is impossible to please him. Our world is full of people who are continually doing whatever we feel like. Uh, Mankind today, and it's not anything really new, is doing that which is right in their own eyes. Now, they may say it's not the best, it probably could be better, but I think it's okay. Well, what did they just do? They just said, I believe it's right, I believe it's okay. It's okay for me to do. Have you ever had someone tell you, it may not be okay for you to do it, but it's okay for me to do it? I've had people tell me that. Well, you shouldn't, but I can. Uh, That's our world in which we live today. They do what is right in their own eyes. You know that we're all prone to that? 
Our flesh is built that way. Our godless, wicked, vile flesh is built that way. Well, you know, I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway because I think it's okay or I can get away with it. Um, I think it's okay for me to treat my wife this way or my husband that way. I think it's okay for me to watch this. I think it's okay for me to listen to that kind of music. I think it's okay for me to worship God however I want. So it's, it's a very common thing in the day that we're living. But look at our text as we work our way down to our, our main text. And look at verse number one. I just want to touch on it for just a few moments. Now I'll give you a little bit of the background here. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the warrior king of Israel, was penning down these words and he says this, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Uh, Notice again verse 1, the very first word, fret. Not a word that you and I use that often. I didn't go home last week and say, honey, are you fretting today? That's not a word we often use. But the word fret there has the idea of to be vexed or upset. To be frustrated with something. And he says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Don't allow yourself to be upset. Don't allow yourself to uh, be frustrated because of people who are doing evil. Uh, vexed, to be anxious, uh, to be wringing your hands. There have been some things that have been going on in our country recently, even going back a few years now, that are wrong. People hating one another. Um, it's not been that long it's at all, Charlottesville, Virginia. I mentioned this in Sunday school, and we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school, where this 20-year-old young man, uh, deranged individual, uh, stuck his challenger in drive and ran into a group of people, killing one 32-year-old woman, injuring multiple other people. Hatred, vitriol. It's disgusting. It's wrong. If the fellow wasn't possessed, I don't know what he was thinking. But wickedness. We don't have to, we don't have to look very far to see evildoers in our day. People doing evil. And sometimes you and I, when we see things that are evil around us, I live over on Calkins Road, only not, not very far away from uh, the airport. It's not that long ago where that fellow came across from Canada and he took a, a knife and tried to behead one of the workers, one of the law enforcement officers there in Bishop International Airport. In our backyard, so to speak. When the planes take off, they're, they're still gaining altitude as they come over our property. And I got to tell you, when that happened, it was close to home. We don't have to look very far to see evil in our day. But the Bible says, don't allow yourself to be frustrated and to be vexed and go through life wringing your hands because of those who are doing evil. And then he says, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. The word fret might have the idea of fear or to be angry or frustrated about something, people who are doing evil. But then he goes one step further and he says, I don't just want you not to be worrying and to be anxious about those that are doing evil. I don't want you to live day to day angry and frustrated about people who are doing what is wrong. But he goes one step further and he says, neither do I want you to be envious against the workers of iniquity. The people who are living life according to their flesh seemingly having a good time, and seem to be getting away with it. Be careful that you don't look at them and think, wow, you know what, it's kind of fun. it must be fun to live life that way. Well, they just don't live with any rule or, or guidance in their life. They're just going through life, just having a good time, and, and, uh, and there never seems to be any consequences for these people. You know what, maybe, maybe I'm a little too straight-laced. Maybe I should uh, broaden the way I live a little bit and just live it up in this life. He says, don't be envious against the workers of iniquity. Why? Notice verse number two. For they, both the evildoers and the workers of iniquity in verse one, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. I could summarize that verse into this statement. Their day is coming. 
There's a, a biblical truth that is taught in both the Old and New Testament, and the truth is this. You reap, you always reap what you sow. You always reap what you sow. Most all of us in this room can give testimony of that. If you sow what is right, you'll reap blessings from God. Or I could say it this way, if you sow to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a born-again child of God, lives within you. If you, have been, if you have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you were born again by the Spirit of God. He lives within you, and from within us, he guides us, and he directs us, and he teaches us. Sometimes he convicts us when you're, you and I are thinking about doing something that's wrong. Uh, if you sow to the Spirit, if you obey the leading of the Spirit of God, you'll reap blessing. But if we sow to the flesh, of the flesh, we will reap corruption, destruction. I won't ask you to raise your hand but at all, and please don't, but how many of you have ever sowed to the flesh and you've reaped corruption or destruction? You probably, even in your marriage, have experienced that. In the, you got in the flesh and you spoke to your spouse in the flesh with disrespect and disregard and a lack of love. It wasn't of the spirit. You were angry and you were in the flesh and you spoke to your spouse in a belittling way. How did that go? Not very well. So it's just real practical. So to the flesh, reap corruption, reap destruction. Now, now we come to uh, verse number three and following. And so really, the psalmist David, the Spirit of God is saying to you and to me, don't live life anxious and frustrated because of people who are doing wrong. And don't live life looking at the world and saying, you know what, well, I just want to be like them. I want to live my life free and, and just do whatever I want. And it's going to be okay. Don't do that. Instead, he says this, trust in the Lord. And the word, and, and the name of God there used, Lord, is the word Jehovah. Trust in Jehovah. Trust in the Lord and, and do good. Now, there are three marks in the life of a person who's trusting in God, and I want you to answer these questions this morning in your own heart. Are you trusting God? It's impossible to please him if you're not. It really is. It's impossible to please God if you're not trusting him. Um, we call it, the Bible calls it the sin of unbelief. And by the way, keep this in mind. A person who does not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior, they will not believe upon him. They do not believe that he is who he says he is, or they don't believe, they may believe that he came and he died, that he rose again, but they don't believe that they need him. That person, in unbelief, is rejecting Jesus Christ and the salvation of God. And you know that you and I struggle with that very same sin, the sin of unbelief? We all do. There are times where we go through life and we're overwhelmed with fear, or we're overwhelmed with frustration and anxiety. Not that long ago, something happened in my life, particular that was brought into my life, and it made me mad. It shouldn't have been that way. It was wrong. But you know what? I, I wasn't trusting God that he was going to use this, even though it was wrong, to accomplish his purpose. And you know what God brought to my mind to convict me? He brought back to my mind our study of Joseph. How many of you were a part of that study? You remember that study that we did through on Joseph's life? Okay, most of us here were a part of that. And you remember Joseph's older brothers sold him into slavery, into Egypt. ultimately he ends up in Egypt, falsely accused falsely, wrongfully imprisoned. And years and years later, his brothers come before him and he's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And Joseph's perspective was, what you meant for evil, God meant it unto good. You see, Joseph's perspective was one of trusting God. And, and, and it's something that every one of us uh, struggle with, trusting God. So number one, the believer that's trusting in the Lord does good. See it in verse number three. He says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Now, and really what he's saying here is, if you really believe that God is, is who he says he is, uh, you'll do what he says. If you really believe that this isn't just a bunch of words of men, if this just isn't, in a, isn't a man's religion, if you really believe this is the word of God, then you'll do what it says. I could ask you this morning, are you doing what is good? 
Are, are, are you doing what is right? Are you doing what you know to be right? There are times in our lives where we're not exactly sure what to do. Have you ever been there? You're not exactly sure what to do. But most of the time in our lives, in most of the areas of our lives, you and I know what to do. And so the question is, are you doing what you know to do? Men, are you loving your wives like Christ loves the church? And I mean selflessly. I mean sacrificially. Ladies, are you submitting yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord? Children, are you honoring your father and your mother? Are you obeying them? Are you honoring them? To honor is to obey them immediately with the right attitude. Are you doing that? You know it's right, but are you doing it? The believer that's trusting the Lord does what is good. Uh, Now, doing good is not fretting. It's not worrying. Doing good is not being envious, coveting a life that isn't what it ought to be. Good and evil are not the same. Uh, Do what is good. We all have the ability to to do good if you and I have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all have the ability also, even those of us who are saved, we all have the ability to do what is evil. We can do wrong. We can lie. We can steal. We can cheat. We can lose our temper. We cannot obey. And the psalmist really doesn't go into any detail as to what exactly the believer is supposed to do other than that which is in opposition to the evildoers and the workers of iniquity in verse number 1. Now, uh, and really what he's saying is don't follow the evildoers. Don't follow the workers of iniquity. Do that which is good. The Apostle Paul described the world, those who are unsaved, and he says they are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Later in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 and 24, Paul communicates the impossibility of doing that which is good through the power of the flesh. He says it this way. Listen to what Paul says. He's an apostle. He's a man filled by the Spirit of God often. And he says, for I know that in me, and listen to what he says, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I know what to do, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And later in verse number 24, the Apostle Paul says this, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I know what I ought to do, but boy, I struggle to do it. I don't have the ability in and of myself to do that which is good. John 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, For without me ye can do nothing. You might be here this morning and you say, Pastor, I know what I ought to do, but I, I, I struggle to do it. Pastor, I know I, shouldn't, I know I should treat my wife better than I do, but I'm struggling to do it. And, and, and truly, you're not making an excuse. You are struggling with this. You've come up against a wall. You can't overcome it. You might be in a situation where you say, Pastor, I know I shouldn't lie, but it's such a part of my life. That's all I seem to do. I open my mouth and out comes lies. Friend, you need the Lord Jesus Christ to help you and deliver you and make you somebody who tells the truth. Philippians 4 and verse 13, Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, we don't have the power in and of ourselves to do what we ought to do. And that's true for every person who walks the face of the earth. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we can, we, we, a person can be dressed up, they can look good, they can say the right things in public for everybody to see, but in their heart, there's nothing that's changed. Only Jesus Christ can do that. We are commanded to put ourselves under the control and leadership of Christ. His Spirit in our lives. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, to be under His control. In Galatians 5 and verse 16, uh, the Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I'm going to read to you a part of a passage from Galatians. It's in chapter 5 as well. And I've just read to you about the fruit of the Spirit. If you and I would walk, if we'll, as we walk in the Spirit, that means obey the Spirit. 
one step at a time. He says to you and me, a soft answer turneth away wrath. And you say, okay, I'll do that. You walk in the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit of God leads you to forgive somebody who's, excuse me, who's wronged you and hurt you. You say, okay, I'll do that. Walk in the Spirit. Just one step at a time. See, what I'm not preaching this morning is, you know what, everybody, I'm not, I'm not, and, he, and this is what I love about this passage. He says, a mark of somebody who's trusting God is that they just do what they know to do. That, that, that moment. Just do good. Right there in that moment. You say, yeah, but what about the big picture? What about this huge mountain in my life that I don't know how to, I don't know what to do with this. All he's saying is do what you know to do right now. One simple truth at a time. And you know what? God can move mountains. God will grow you. And there will become a point in your life years from now where you'll look back and say, you might say this to your wife, honey, do you, do you remember where we were? Do you remember how bad it was? Do you remember where we were? We were in an impossible situation. Look what God has done in our lives. And you know what you'll do? You'll give praise and honor and glory to God. And you know why he will reward and bless? Because you take him at his word. Because you trust him. I'm not asking you to put your trust in a man. I'm not asking you to put your trust in a religion. I'm not asking you to put your trust and confidence in a program. I'm asking you to take God at his word and trust him. And the mark of somebody who's trusting God is that they're doing good. They're just doing, they're doing one thing at a time as the Spirit of God leads them to do. The opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is the works of the flesh. And these are really our only choices. We, only, we have one of two choices to make. If you're a born-again child of God, you and I can either say yes to the Spirit of God and no to the flesh, which I have, by the way, and you have it too. Or we can say no to the flesh and we can say yes to the Spirit of God. So what's the flesh? What, what is this flesh that we have? This old man, the Bible calls him. Uh, and I'll read about him here to you. It's in, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, it says this. Now the works of the flesh, the, what the flesh does are manifest. They're many. What are they? Uh, adultery, fornication. Adultery is sex outside of marriage. Fornication is premarital sex. Uncleanness, that has the idea more of uh, maybe looking at those things on the internet that are, that are lewd and, and wrong and, and immoral. Um, uh, he goes on, he says lasciviousness, that's extreme uh, wickedness. Verse 20, he says idolatry, living life for things instead of God. Uh, witchcraft, hatred, hatred's listed, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. And he goes on, there are more, he says. They're the works of the flesh. And again, I tell you this morning that every single one of us have flesh. And when you and I choose to say yes to how we feel, our flesh, it will always lead us further than we want to go. It will always cost us more than we want to pay. It will hold on to you and it will not give up. And so every one of us are in this situation where we can either choose to trust God and say yes to his spirit, which leads to goodness, doing what is good before God. Or we can say yes to the flesh. I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to do what he says. I'm going to do what I feel like. And it, it leads to more than you and I can control. It actually controls us. We become a slave to it. We do its will. So what starts out as, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do, ends up the very thing I started to serve, or started. I wanted it to do what I wanted, I wanted it to serve me, it ends up, being my master and I'm its servant. And now I'm caught and I'm trapped. So the believer that's trusting the Lord does that which is good. You're in Psalm 37. Look over to verse 27. Psalm 37 and verse 27, the beginning part. 
Verse 27, he says, depart from evil and do good. It's very simple. And again, I, I, you know, I like lists. Tell me what I need to do. Give me the 10-step process. Three points in a poem. Give me, give me real simple. I want the, tell me the three things I need to do to have a happy life everlasting. And you know what God does here? He says, you trust me and you do good. Uh, I think I've said this to you before. Some of you might not have heard it, but years ago, I can remember I was at a Christian school and, uh, and I was talking to, I think it was a senior. They were planning to go to college the next year. And they were like, you know, I just don't know what I, I don't know, I, I, my major and, and oh, I don't know what college I should go to and what major I should declare. And, you know, I've got a girlfriend here, and, but I don't know if she's the one. And, and he, wanted all, he wanted all to be known to him at that very moment. For the rest of his life, he wanted to know everything right at that moment. And a, and a Christian school teacher was walking by, and they happened to overhear the conversation, and the, and the teacher just kind of called out over his shoulders, and he said, just brush your teeth. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, wow, that, the teachers here are severely underpaid and overworked. You know, he needs some lunch. He's running low on carbohydrates. He's dehydrated. He's starting to get a little shaky up there, you know. Brush your teeth. That had nothing to do with our conversation. And Cindy and I got in the van. I think we were in upstate New York. We started to drive to the next school. And all of a sudden, it just dawned on me, yeah, brush your teeth. That's what I'm trying to teach my children, right? Brush your teeth. Have you brushed your teeth? Why? Because it's good and right to do. It's simple. Has anybody come up to you and said, wow, you know what? You did a great job brushing your teeth this morning. I mean, you just really did. I mean, I got to tell you, you brush your teeth better than anybody else. I mean, no one's ever said that. That's crazy. You say, Seth, I think you're crazy where you're going with this sermon. But here's the idea. Uh, it's just real simple. And I cannot emphasize that enough. Sometimes as you and I are going through life, we're overwhelmed with all these different things. And what should I do about this? And where should we go here? And here's what I'm telling you. And I think this is the emphasis of this passage, at least in this verse. Just do what you know to do. Sometimes we get ourselves in a lot of trouble because we don't know. We don't do what we know to do. And there are consequences for that. So the believer who's trusting God does what is good. Real simple. Secondly, the believer who's trusting in God delights in God. This is a beautiful thought in this passage. And it all comes out of this one word, delight. Look in verse number four, he says this. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. When I was in college, early on, I did not do well academically. And it was because I thought, my wife, after we were married, she says, well, you thought you were at camp. You were paying to go to college, but you thought you were at camp. You were hanging out with your friends, playing a lot of basketball, going to this game, going there. Hey, you want to go out? Sure. Do I have any study? Do I have anything to do tomorrow? You know, I don't really know. I haven't checked. Uh, just going through life. I was immature and I was unwise. Uh, but I can remember one of the things that I loved so much at that stage of my life was basketball. And I practiced with the team. I was on the team to a degree. I wasn't often eligible, eligible because of my lack of self-discipline. But I was there, and I was a part of the team. But, you know, I loved basketball, and, and one of the dreams and goals that I had personally was for our team to go to districts and win districts and then go be involved in the national tournament. And I can remember taking one of the ticket stubs after that first season, and I put it in my Bible in Psalm 37, near verse 4. Because I looked at verse 4, and at the very end of verse 4, the Bible says, And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And the desire of my heart was that I would be a part of that basketball team, eligible, without working or studying, apparently, and that somehow we would make, we'd win districts and go on and play in the national tournament. And I, that, was, that was what I dreamed about. That's what I thought about. That's all I, I was consumed with it. It was an idol to me. And it was destroying my life. And by the way, idols will always destroy your life, no matter what the idol is. But here's the thing about this verse, Psalm 37 and verse 4. It does say at the end, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. But there is a conditional promise. There's a condition for God to give you the desires of your heart. And the condition is this. Your desires have to be right before him. How, how can our desires become one with God's desires? How, how can your desires... What are your desires, first of all? Are your desires right? Right? 
Because God is not evil, he is only good. God is righteous and God is holy. Uh, God cannot help and aid that which is unholy. He's not going to bless unrighteous desires. Well, the answer is in, in this word, delight. Delight thyself also in the Lord. The word delight really has two ideas to it, and I want to draw your attention to it. The word delight has the idea of to be soft. Um, it has the idea of to be soft. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Be soft, be pliable in the hands of God. Be surrendered. Be submitted. Um, Cindy and I do not like Play-Doh at all. Zero. In any way. Carpet, rugs, Play-Doh, kitchen table, on the back deck. You know, she, she had him working with Play-Doh on the back deck. She didn't want him in the house. So, and I said, on the back deck, that's my jurisdiction. Now the Play-Doh's everywhere. You know, it's like i got to dredge it out of the cracks. It gets all hard, you know, and, you know, Play-Doh. It's fun for a while. But you know, in all the, all the years that I've played with Play-Doh, and I still am because I have four young kids, in all the years I've played with Play-Doh, never once, never one time has the Play-Doh fought back. It's never attacked me. I mean, you could make, if you're a good sculptor, you could make like a dinosaur, a T-Rex. It would never attack you. Play-Doh doesn't do that. It doesn't fight back. Uh, Play-Doh doesn't resist me. Now, unless it's hard, you left the cap off for a long period of time, then it's resistful. It resists. But Plato never resists. It, it's pliable. It does what you want it to do. And what God's saying here in Psalm 37 and verse 4 is the believer who trusts God is pliable in the hands of God. Now, I believe for the most part this morning I'm talking to born-again believers. There might be some of you here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save your soul from death and hell to come. But for the most part, I'm I'm talking to born-again believers. You trusted Jesus Christ by faith. You, You trusted him at one point in your life. But it is a sure sign that you are not trusting him now if you are resisting what he is doing in your life. Are you resisting him? Are you fighting back? Are are you not surrendered? Are you rebellious? Because there have been times in my life, as a born-again child of God, where I have had the attitude, God, I don't know that I don't understand why you have the right to do this in my life. This is too much. You're asking too much. And you know, at those those times in my life, I wasn't trusting God. You're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to put all of your confidence in him. And you're going to say, God, I trust you that what you are doing in my life is right and good. And it is for your honor and your glory. And it is for my good. And God, I'm going to trust you. The word delight has the idea of to be soft. It has the idea of to surrender. The word surrender means to give up. You say, what are you, are you preaching to give up this morning? No. Uh, not, not in the sense of give up in life, but I am preaching this. Give up. Give up when it comes to what you want from your flesh. What your flesh is saying, I want this. I've got to have it to be happy. Give up. Wave, wave the, white, the white flag of surrender and say, God, I give up my desires. God, I want, I want to know what your desire is for me. You're the one who created me. Do you know that? God created you. God made you. He knows exactly who you are. And you say, yeah, but I've got some goals and I've got some aspirations and I've got some dreams for my life. And I know what success looks like, and that's what I want. And anything less than that, I'm not going to be happy, and I'm not going to be content, and I'm going to be miserable, and I'm going to spew it on everybody else around me. If you're going to trust God, and if you're going to please Him, you're going to have to delight in Him. You're going to have to be soft and pliable in His hands, and, and He might lead another direction. And you're going to have to say, God, I, I surrender, I give up. But it also has the idea of to submit. To surrender means to give up. To stop pursuing what we were pursuing in our flesh. And it means to give in. Submit means to give in. 
In other words, to do his will. And that comes from that word soft, pliable. To delight. God, here I am. You can mold me. You can do whatever you want in my life. And I know who you are because your word tells me. And you are good, only good. And you are always righteous. And you only do what is right. And I know that your ways are not my ways. And I know that your thoughts are not my thoughts and that your ways are higher and your thoughts are higher than my ways and my thoughts. But God, I trust you. You know, I've come to this, I've come, come to the point in my life. I don't want to determine where I go in life. I want God to. I want him to direct. I want him to direct my steps. I want him to guide my steps. I don't want to go through life, and there have been many times, and I'm not saying I'll never do it again because I'm a human being. But there have been so many times in my life where I've just kind of, I'm going to do this no matter what. And it never works out. It always leaves me wanting more. It never satisfies. Delight in God. Lastly, and very quickly, I want to look at uh, the next verse, verse number 5. He says, commit thy way unto the Lord. So, again, somebody who's trusting God does what is good. They do what they know is right. Number two, they're delighting in the Lord. They're soft and pliable in the hands of God. And what happens is a miracle. When you and I trust in God and we are soft and pliable in his hands, he literally changes the desires of our heart to be one with his desires. Uh, you probably could guess, but the most important thing, I don't have it in my Bible anymore. I don't have that old ticket stub for districts. You know, for multiple reasons. It's not really an option. I'm no longer eligible. You know, there's a number of things. You know what? My desires have changed. Um, the things I used to want so badly, I wanted and I, I longed for, I don't long for those anymore. How about you? Are you soft and pliable? And then, and then finally, the believer that's trusting the Lord diligently prays. And I think this has this idea in verse 4. He says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And then verse 5, commit thy way into the Lord, trust also in him, there's the admonition, trust him, and he shall bring it to pass. He's going to do it. Verse 6, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness. You know what righteousness is? It's doing what is right. God always does what is right. We don't always do what is right. But who can make you righteous? Who can make you and help you to do what is right? Who can make me do and help me do what is right? And the answer is God. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light. The sun's going to come up tomorrow. And thy judgment, making right choices as the noonday. How? By trusting God and committing thy way to him. Commit thy way unto the Lord. I want to talk to you just for a few moments about prayer and we'll be done this morning. Do you pray? Are you a man of prayer? Talking to men for just a moment. Are you a man of prayer? Do you ask God for anything? Are you consistent in prayer? If you do pray, if there's ever been a time where you've asked God for anything, and, you, and maybe, maybe some of us as men, we're, we often tend to be self-confident and self-reliant. So for me, um, I can remember when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I was a young boy, five years of age, downtown Detroit, Michigan. I asked God to save me. I asked him for something I couldn't do for myself. By the way, a couple of weeks ago, my aunt passed away, and my dad and I, my mom were down there, and my dad said, hey, I want to show you something. He drove me back to the place where I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior on a little side street. Uh, and I, we sat there for just a moment, and then we drove on. Uh, but I had to ask him. I asked God. The Bible says, um, uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever asked him to save you? You will. You have to humble yourself to ask for something. Uh, sometimes we as men get bad, we get a bad rap because, you know, we don't like to ask for directions. Well, now we have that, 
lady with the English accent continually telling us where to go, wherever it is, you know, on our uh, GPS, on our phone, right? Uh, Now we're told wherever to go. But anyway, um, men don't like to ask for directions. You know, sometimes we as men can be pretty proud and arrogant. I know how to do it. I can do that. Sure, I can do this. I can do that. Uh, It takes humility to ask for something. Commit. Commit has the idea of to roll your burdens onto somebody else. Well, I've got broad shoulders. I can handle it. You know what I've found and God, God has gone to great lengths to accomplish in my life to humble me? He has given me consistently more than I can handle. Oh, I can do it. No, you can't. No, you cannot. God wants his creation, you and me, to understand and to embrace that we need him. And there is nobody else like him. There is nothing that can take his place. We need God. And not, not only does he want us to get to that place at one point and receive his Savior, or his Son, Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior, but he wants us to live there every day of our lives. He wants us to wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you for the great night's sleep, or Lord, it was a horrible night's sleep. You're going to have to help me today get through the day. He wants us to wake up in the morning and say, God, good morning. Would you guide and direct my steps today? God, would you help me to accomplish what you want me to accomplish today? God, help me to accomplish everything that, I, that, that you would have for me to accomplish today. I need your help. You know, that's a sign of humility when you and I pray. And by the way, it's a sign of pride and self-dependence. And God hates pride when you and I don't pray. Most of us in this room probably pray before a meal and say, God, thank you for the food. You should. It's a good thing to do. My son William doesn't get that. Well, Dad, you buy the food. Mom buys the food. That's what he told me. Mom buys the food. Doesn't even, I don't even do it. Mom buys the food, Dad. I said, uh, Will, if it weren't for God, you and I would have not. He, everything we have is from him. And maybe you're here this morning and you have Will's attitude. God hasn't helped me at all. I've worked really hard for what I have. It's not of God. Friend, that's a humanistic attitude. It's a humanistic perspective. God wants us to worship him and he wants us to commit to roll our burdens and our cares and our lives over onto him and he wants to shoulder the load. How do we do that? We do that through prayer. We can commit our way unto the Lord through prayer. God has commanded us to pray. In Philippians 4 and verse 6 he says, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't be full of care for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It's not that God doesn't already know our need. He already knows them. He wants what he's interested in is he's interested in Seth Ferguson humbling himself and saying, God, I need you today. God, I have four children. They are eternal souls. You know, I can't take my house with me to heaven. I can't take the vehicles to heaven. I can't take anything I own to heaven. But my children can go to heaven with me. If they'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, help me to train up my kids in a way that would honor and please you. He already knows the needs. He knows my needs. He knows your needs. What he's interested in is you and I humbling ourselves and acknowledging him for who he is, God Almighty. The world around us for the most part, and God knows people's hearts, but in general today, our world, and and my heart and my flesh is there sometimes, just plows through life, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, making decisions, uh, living life day after day after day without even thinking about God, what he wants what he desires for our lives. And sometimes you and I as men, and sometimes some ladies in this room, and maybe some young people, you go through life. When's the last time as a young person you got up as a teenager and said, God, help me today. Help me to honor my teachers. 
God, help me today. Help me as I study. Help my mind, Lord. Help me to retain the information. Help me to be a great employee today, God. Help me to point people to Christ, Lord. Help me to be a witness unto you, God. Help me to be the husband that I need to be, God. When's the last time we've prayed this way? We're commanded to pray, but I also submit to you that it is a conscious decision that you and I make every day, whether to pray or not to pray. Whether to commit our way into the Lord or not to commit our way into the Lord. It is a decision that every one of us make. In Psalm 121, in verse 1, the Bible says this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Uh, The psalmist understood, God, you made everything. You made it. You created it. But at the beginning of that verse, in verse 1 of Psalm 121, he says this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. Once cometh my help. And the idea, it's a, it's a word picture. The psalmist was saying, I'm going to lift up my eyes and I'm going to look to God for help. It's the opposite of humanism. Which says, look to yourself. You got what it takes. You can do it. And I'm telling you today, just the opposite. You can't do it. You don't have it in you. And you can hear my words and, you, and your pride can get all revved up and you can say, you know what, I can do whatever I want to do. And I, listen, that's the old flesh. And sometimes my flesh says the same thing. Listen, you do not have it in you to do and be what God wants you to be. You need God. And the psalmist said, I need God. I need you. You made everything, God. You know that God created everything that is in six literal days, six literal 24-hour days. God spoke. This is how powerful he is, and he created the heavens and the earth. You say, well, what about the theory of evolution? And it is a theory, by the way. And I would ask you this. If I were to take my watch apart and pull it into as many pieces as it possibly could be pulled into and throw it into a shoebox and put it underneath the bed, how many years before this watch would come back together? This watch had a creator. It had a designer. It had engineers, probably multiple engineers, who worked on it. A design, a concept. They got it approved, and then they had to put together all the technology to put the watch together. Look around at this world. Consider your own human body. It is a miracle. It did not evolve. God created it. So it's a conscious decision. I'm going to look to God. I also remind you of a verse that... I've mentioned recently, and that's in 1 John chapter 5. And this is how we should pray. We need to pray in confidence. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And I want to encourage you with something today. I'm I'm talking to you about praying. I'm talking about committing your way into the Lord. I cannot emphasize this enough. God does not hear people who are asking for the wrong things. I'm not saying he can't hear audibly what's happening. What I'm saying is God's not going to answer you or me if we're stubbornly persisting in something that is not what he wants to do. God is good and righteous and holy, and he will do what is right and holy. And he is very much interested in you and our hearts, our hearts turning toward him, our hearts desiring what he desires. And so when you and I pray, there's this wonderful confidence that God hears prayer when you and I ask according to his will. And he says it this way, and if we know that he hears us, if we're asking for what we should be asking for, whatsoever we ask, John says, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So the real question for me and for you is this. God, what do you want to do in this situation? And when he reveals that to you and to me, you and I have a responsibility to keep asking until he says yes. A man by the name of Samuel Chadwick made this statement. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saint from prayer. Now, a saint isn't a dead person who's been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. A saint is any any person who's born again who's received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's a saint. You say, well, my husband's no saint, Pastor. Well, they may not be perfect, but they're a child of God. God calls them a saint, and he calls you a saint as well if you're a born-again child of God. So Samuel Chadwick says this, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saint from prayer. The devil fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. The devil laughs at our toil. 
He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You may be a great man. You may be a great lady. You're brilliant. You're disciplined. You're hardworking. But you need God. And you need to trust him. I'm talking about the creator of the ends of the earth. I'm talking about the one who spoke and the heavens and the earth were created. The galaxies, the heavens were created. And you need to stop depending upon yourself. You need to start doing what you know to be right. Do good, one truth at a time. You need to delight in him. Hope in him. Rejoice in him. Be soft and pliable in his hands and let God do in your life what he wants. You need to commit your way into the Lord. That's through prayer. God, I need your help today. You might be here this morning and your marriage is in absolute shambles. It's coming apart at the seams. And I look out at you this morning and I don't see anybody like that. You're here. You're sitting together. I think, wow, what a great couple. I don't know any better, but you know. There might be some of you here this morning and and I look at your kids and I think, wow, what great kids. And you're thinking, oh, they're not great kids. They're they're full of rebellion. Your hearts aren't for God at all. Your heart's breaking. Commit it over to God. Roll it over onto him. You can't. But he can. Psalm 55 and verse 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Notice in verse 6 of our passage, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. In verse 7 he says, Rest means to be silent. Rest in the Lord. If you're anything like me, sometimes I'm silent, but sometimes, you know, I like to work things out. And so I talk about the problem. What do I do about this? What do I do about that? What do I do about this? He says, be silent and let God handle it. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently. He has the idea of to look forward to, to hope. Wait patiently for him. It's not going to happen overnight. God can save your soul from death and hell the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But i got to tell you, every one of us in this room who are saved are a work in progress. We are. We haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. As I shared with my Sunday school class this morning, there are still times where my flesh is pulling me, pulling me away from God. It's saying, come on, Seth, it's okay. Come on, boy, this is really costing you a lot, Seth. Come on, just give in a little bit here and there. No, no. Wait patiently for him, hope in him, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Why? For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. I want you to skip all the way to the last two verses of Psalm 37 and we'll be done. Psalm 37, verse 39 says this, But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. God, he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Why? Because they trust in him. There are times in my life where I look around and I think, wow, I don't know. I don't see how this is going to work out. I'm talking about a situation. I don't know how this is going to work out. But you know what? I know it will work out. God is going to work it out if I will just trust him. It doesn't mean I sit back and do nothing because a person who trusts God does what's right, does good. That person is delighting in God. They're soft and pliable, surrendered and submitted. And they're diligently praying, God, would you deliver me today? Deliver me from my addiction. 
Deliver me from my godless, wicked temper. God, have your way in my life. Help my marriage to be what, it, but what you want it to be. Help our church to be what you want it to be. You see what I'm saying? The believer who trusts God does these things. I want you to take your hymnal and pastor's